Aloha kako. You're listening to Native Stories. Native Stories exist to share the voices of those connected to the land. Native Stories' vision is creating a resource for pilina or connection to place, and Native Stories aims to activate Indigenous perspectives. Aloha kako. Vaona nea loko inoa no paukulea waku ma pae no Hawaii no hoama kai no hoama Texas. Hello everyone, my name is Nania Lo and I come from Papakula, Oahu in the Hawaiian Kingdom. Um, I'm currently living in Texas and mahalo nui for joining us on another episode of Native Stories. Today we have Delia Parker Ulima and she has worked over the last decade with a nonprofit organization called Epic Ohana and they help to lead the work with child welfare reform. Um, youth engagement and advocacy, public will and policy and communication efforts. She holds a Bachelor's of Arts degree in political science from Brigham Young University, Hawaii, um, an MA in Pacific Island Studies, a Juris Doctorate from the William S. Richardson School of Law, and a Graduate Certificate in Conflict Resolution from the Spark and Matsunaga Institute for Peace and Conflict Resolution. And those all stem from the University of Hawaii in Manoa. She also serves as the current chair for the Juvenile Justice State Advisory Council. And Delia is a Kali girl, Kamehameha alumni, a local musician, a <laughs> wife to Fossey, and a mom to Sunny, Makana, and Snoop. So, aloha, Delia. Thank you for joining us here on Native Stories. Um, so, I guess you can just do your own little introduction if you'd like to our listeners and followers of Native Stories. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for this opportunity to be on Native Stories. Um, I've definitely heard about this podcast from different people um, for a while. And so to be here is just um, a tremendous honor. Um, you kind of said it all. I mean, I'm just a Kalihi girl that um, uh, loves uh, social justice and all things um Native Hawaiian as far as, you know, being empowered and empowering our Kanaka Maoli community. Um, I love all things Hawaii as well and uh, playing music and uh, talking story about these kinds of things really, you know, that's, it's my, that's my thing. That's my jam. So thank you for having me today. Thank you for being with us. A little bit about your work. What is Epic Ohana? I mean, I know I said a little snippet, but like, you know, Sure. Well, sure. Let me tell you a little bit about Epic Ohana. So Epic Ohana was founded over 20 years ago. It is a nonprofit organization. And it really started out with the um, belief that families should know and have a say in what's going on with their children that are taken into the child welfare system. Um, That they should be at the table. They should be informed. Um, They should, uh, again, be able to plan for their children, uh, even though they're living in someone else's home and get the support they need to be in a place to uh, receive their children safely back into their home. And Epic Ohana um, really started its roots, looked at a combination of the whole Ho'oponopono process. Um, so piloting out on the west side of Oahu um, with the family court and also with um, leaders in the Waianae area. I also looked at the work that was being done in Aotearoa um, with uh, Maori 
um, groups that were really fighting to get their children back uh, that were involved in the child welfare system there and making sure that the, the Native voice was involved. Um, uh, and so it was, it's a combination of mediation, um, family group decision-making, and Native practices to really give a voice to families uh, whose children were taken to the child welfare system. And so something called Ohana Conferencing uh, was created or designed so when a child enters foster care, their family um, can come together. And Epic Ohana is the um, the neutral convener that convenes and brings together uh, the families as well as their their natural supporters and child welfare and other people who are involved in the child's the children's cases to come together and talk about it and have a voice. Um, so that started over twenty years ago. It is part of state law to get today every child that enters foster care, um, right away there are referrals for Ohana conferencing that take place so the families can be involved at the outset and, and be informed and have that voice. And over the years, other pro um, programs involved, um, always with the idea of keeping families informed and involved, um, family um, connection work, which is um, family finding, which is really cool. We have a whole program at Epic Ohana, a whole department where they just search for family and they put together genealogy charts and they f figure out who's out there that can support these children because children do much better uh, if they are out of the home for a period of time so their parents or caregivers can really take care of themselves and make sure that the home is safer for the child to return. It, they are better off if the children are in with kin right, are with Ohana. Um, and in the past, and with so many foster children, they're placed in strangers' homes, right, so non-relative placement. So family finding, Epic Ohana does that. Um, so every child that enters foster care right away, our family finding department gets a referral, and they start doing research to figure out where the family and natural supports are for that child or children in care. We also have something called family connection work, where there's deeper work done for children who might have been disconnected from their family for several years, like deeper work with to mend that and to really reweave those connections. We have youth circle, young people who might be aging out of foster care to come together and have a circle to plan for their future, make sure they have everything they need before they leave the foster care system. And of course, now the, the High Hopes Initiative, we also have RAP, which seeks to bring like all the, so sometimes a kid is involved in different systems like DOE, you know, Department of Education, and they have a case with Department of Health, and they might even be involved with juvenile justice. So they have a probation officer. And instead of a child having to go from system to system to get support, the, the RAP wraps around that child or that family and brings all those services together in one room and to work together and help. So we do that as well. And then finally, our High Hopes Initiative work, which started 10 years ago, it is our 10-year anniversary, really seeks to empower young people who are like the teenagers and then aging out of care from 18 to 26, because those are often the ones that have like very dire outcomes when they age out of the foster care system. And so it really is an effort to provide, um, to have our young people utilize their voice to reform the system, to make things better for them, to make sure there's supports for them when they exit care. Um, and we work with our national partner, Annie Casey and the Jim Casey Initiative um, and many community partners on that effort. So that's kind of a, a wide array of what Epic Ohana does. Um, but we are a neutral nonprofit organization that is contracted with the department and works very closely with our community partners to um, support the well-being of families and children who are involved in the foster care system. Such important work. I, I mean, I don't know, like I've had 
cousins and yeah relatives who have been in the foster care system and yeah like that it is a critical age like 18 to 24 you said and it's awesome that you guys have like people that are able to kind of like advocate and also maybe kind of act like mentors to other people I know that so right now during the COVID and the pandemic that's happening, it must be kind of crazy. And that's kind of why Native Stories wanted to come and have you on and share your story with how you work with families and Native Hawaiians that um, are in the foster care system. And, you know, there is a need there to shed light and information and just have people understand more about it. Um, can you tell us or go more into maybe how, yeah, like you got involved and got into this position and how you're connected? Sure. Um, so, I mean, if I can speak a little to how I got into this work, is that, um, yeah. And how I'm connected personally to this work. Um, so I have a, a son that's adopted from the foster care system. We adopted him. He came into our home when he was three and a half, and we adopted him legally at age five. And um, he's now about to graduate from high school. And um, actually, that's when I first got involved with Epic Ohana as a as a foster parent. And and I became part of the uh, Ohana Circle or Ohana Conference or that family group decision making circle, and really um, became aware of how ooh, how difficult the child welfare experience can be. Um, I can only imagine for birth parents, but even for caregivers um, or foster parents, there's so many, there's court dates and there's all this legal, you know, legal terms and timelines and, you know, and lots of relational issues going back and forth. So it was, it, you know, fortunately for me, I, I did have a law degree and I, I did know where to ask the questions and, and who to ask for and how to advocate. Um, and it was still difficult. And so um that's how I first, you know, that's kind of my personal connection to foster care in general. Um, and then lo and behold, a few years later, when my business closed and I was looking for meaningful work out in the community, I saw an opening at Epic Ohana and I, I jumped on right away. And since then, I, I was um, very grateful to be involved, um, not only involved, but involved in a way that includes my passion for social justice and also for the Native Hawaiian community. And, and then, yes, there's that personal connection. Um, as an adoptive parent. So he graduates this year from high school, 2020? Yes. yes. Oh my gosh. Tell him I said hello, but like, are you guys going to do but any of those kind of pandemic? Like, I don't know, they're having like virtual parties and all that kind of random stuff. Yeah, it's not, um, you know, the thing about, this pandemic, I mean, I, I definitely want to talk a, a little bit about how it's impacted our young people in foster care and those who are young adults who've, you know, aged out of foster care and kind of are on their own maybe. But as a parent, I mean, um, you know, you, I, you have to, I have to let go of my husband and I, of our dreams and hopes of, you know, the vision we had of watching our son walk across the stage and, and being able to give him that lay after the graduation. And we had already planned a year ago, his graduation party date and secured the venue and all of that. Oh and so, gosh. so many things. Yeah. I know, <laughs> so, so many things we had to let go of literally 
Um, but with that comes acceptance, right? And the focus on, okay, what really matters? Okay, that he's graduating, that he's loved, that, um, you know, that he's made it this far, that he has a, a bright future ahead of him, that he's healthy and strong. And so those are the things that we need to focus, we needed to focus on. And we're throwing him a Zoom ceremony in our living room. So it's very cool. Okay. It's going to be live on, it's going to be on Zoom, but also live on Facebook and Instagram. And we've already fitted him for uh, his white tuxedo. So he'll be wearing that. And we're going on a tour around the island to visit people with him in the in the truck with his tuxedo. And, you know, we just got to make it festive and fun. That's what you got to do. You got to be creative during times like this. So I love that. <laughs> Thanks. I know I've seen a lot more people getting... Because I was thinking that, too, about not not only high school graduates, but, like, college graduates and people are getting more creative on, like, what are they going to – yeah, like, things like that. Like, doing things on Zoom or on Facebook Live or, yeah, doing little sure. tours with their cars, like, convoys and stuff. I mean, you got to – you you can't – you got to hold on to hope and you can't let it beat you down. And, and, and that's why – so for our young people in care, right um, – you know, if you can imagine, our seniors are already devastated by the fact that they haven't been able to spend these last few months with their classmates, um, with their friends, with their teachers and, and coaches. Um, some of them haven't been able to play the sports they wanted to play to wrap up their senior year. Um, but for our foster kids, um, they, there's already so much loss in their life. And for mm-hmm. this one huge milestone, and un- unfortunately, right now, the statistics nationally show that only about 6% of young people who age out of foster care will get any sort of a two-year degree or more, and only about 3 or 4% will earn a bachelor's degree. So for the majority of these young people, this is it for them. This, is, this might be the only graduation they see in their life. And hopefully not. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully we continue to curb those numbers and improve those numbers. But this is a huge milestone, especially in Hawaii. We know that mm-hmm. for our keiki. But it's another loss. And so one thing we are doing, um, our High Hopes Youth Boards at Epic Ohana, is every year um, there's usually a ceremony at the at um, the Washington Place. Very interesting. But for our young people where there's a dinner, they're flown from all the islands, I mean, a luncheon, and they're celebrated, and there's speakers and entertainment, but that can't happen this year. And so our youth mm-hmm. boards, um, which we have youth leadership boards, which are made up of current and former foster youth between the ages of 14 and 26, and they're advocates for foster care reform and for their foster brothers and sisters, Um and we have boards on Maui, Kauai, Oahu, and East and West Hawaii, they're all throwing virtual senior celebrations. So community partners are giving money and each person will get a a nice gift card. Um, They'll have like a video montage. We have actually entertainers that have... um, have gotten on board to give special messages and perform virtually for them. Some pretty cool big names. Um, And it's going to be an intimate Zoom session for just the graduates and the youth board members so they can talk one-on-one on on what it's like, you know, to age out of care, what resources are there for them, and and just give them some words of hope. So um, those are taking place in June with our youth boards and current foster youth who are aging, um, who are graduating from high school or any sort of program you challenge, maybe finishing up their GED or CBS program. Um, we're ident- identifying and reaching out to them and, and hoping to do something a little special for them. So those are some of the things that our own foster kids are, are grappling with as they try to graduate and move on to the next phase of their life. And honestly, the next phase of their life for other, you know, for 
children like my own, you know, they're excited about the next phase of their life. They they know that we got their back no matter what. But for young people aging out of care, that's a mm-hmm. they don't know very often, you know. So it's 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 a doubly stressful time for our young people in foster care who are our seniors. Understandable. I I commend you guys for being so proactive and like yeah, thinking outside of the box and how do you make this time in their lives feel special for them and some kind of comfort, even though it's like a very different time right now for everybody too. Thank you. Also, I wanted to talk maybe a little about statistics wise. Um, Just because I feel like not a lot of people know about the foster care system and like, how much Native Hawaiians are are affected or just Pacific Islanders and, you know. Sure, absolutely. Um, So just to give you an idea, right, um, there are, as far as Native Hawaiians in Hawaii, um, part Hawaiian, Native Hawaiian, we make up about 26% of the general population, right? And as far as children are concerned, Native Hawaiian children uh, make up about 34% of the total children's popula- you know, population of children because Native Hawaiian families tend to have more children per family than, the, than other ethnic groups in Hawaii. But um, yet Native Hawaiian families and children make up almost half of the foster care system. So there's definitely a disproportionality. Um, and that has been the case all along. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk and, and some efforts, and there's definitely current efforts to try to to address that disproportionality. Uh, and it's rooted in so many other issues. But yes, Native Hawaiians make up almost almost half of the foster care system. Higher in places that have higher Native Hawaiian populations, like um, East Hawaii, for example, uh, on Hawaii Island, they have a much higher Native Hawaiian population because maybe I, for our one of our programs um, out there um, has almost eighty percent of the of its participants are Native Hawaiian in East Hawaii, so it's wow. kind of grim. <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel like nowadays. I mean, even though the statistics are high, I feel like there's a lot more people that, especially Native Hawaiians or Pacific Islanders, Indigenous and Native peoples, who are you know, finding resources and ways to address this from, you know, going into social work, um, following different paths to study, like how you did, or, mm-hmm. yeah, being non-traditional in the fact of looking at alternative ways like adoption and creating other nonprofits to mm-hmm. um, really connect with one another and do that work, that groundwork in our communities. Do you feel like um, present day, especially now in COVID, that there has been more collaboration with other organizations? And have you seen that kind of growth as well? You know, um, community partnership and collaboration is really the key to us addressing um, the health and well-being of our Native Hawaiian families and children. And we can't do it alone. We should certainly shouldn't do it alone. And I think I, I'm going to talk a little bit about Nakama Ahaloa, which is 
a new um, initiative that was started at Epic Ohana in collaboration with child welfare and with um, other community partners like Kamehameha Schools and LT or the Liliu Okalani Trust. And it's interesting because a couple of years back, uh, two or three years back, when we first brought everyone to the table to talk story about foster care, you know, it, it does it does seem at times that our community works in silos and that it's kind of like, you know, foster care has its usual players here and, you know, team people that are working with foster care and education, you know, Kamehameha is known for education and LT is, you know, has their kipuka or their, um, their places throughout the state and help with, you know, they have their niche, but it was a wonderful opportunity to bring people together and say, wait a minute here, we're trying to address the disproportionality and health and well-being of native Hawaiian families and children. We have to include people like the Ali'i Trust in this conversation even though it seems like a niche conversation around foster care, it's not. It's a deeper conversation about historical trauma, about um, disproportionality in, across the board with Native Hawaiian families and children in all areas, like education, like houselessness, um, like poverty. So, and foster care is just one symptom, right? Symptomatic of, of the deeper roots of that historical trauma and that displacement um, that continue to occur on on our aina. And so we have, you know, to bring those different partners together and, and talk about something like foster care, but having that, that lens through Kamehameha schools and LT and other people in the community was really, um, it was a game changer and it has been. And so Nakama Ahaloa has started in 2018 um, and brings together different community members who aren't usually used to working together. Um, and so that is, I think that's the way forward, you know, in, in this pandemic, certainly we've relied on those partners, but moving forward for overall systemic reform and that deeper change mm -hmm. that we need in our community, we have to bring those who are not the quote unquote usual suspects or usual players um, to the, to, because again, foster care is symptomatic. Low educational outcomes are symptomatic of that, that underlying historical um, trauma and we have we all it's our responsibility as a community to to work together on it i'm so glad that you you guys have that program and that it's bringing yeah all these different stakeholders together to address those problems that you know it's deeper it's it's things that maybe yeah like how you said maybe come out you wouldn't think commandment schools would be involved but it's definitely trickles down and to all these different things that have been siloed Mm -hmm. um, can you share with us maybe some other programs that are in um, your line in your in your job and maybe some success stories? Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of success stories individually with young people in care, but also with um, other organizations and programs out there that are doing good work. Um, so uh, some of our partners that we work very closely with is Family Programs Hawaii uh, here on Oahu that works with um, families. So resource caregivers is kind of the new term for foster parent, uh, our RCGs. <laughs> so they work very closely with foster parents to make sure they have the supports they need um, to 
help the the young people in their homes. Uh, Hale Kipa is a big partner, particularly with the 18 and older, uh, making sure they have the supports they need to get medical coverage and and find housing and 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 know how to apply for school and tap into resources available for um, young people who have been impacted by foster care. Um, Catholic Charities also helps with licensing workers. I'm um, not workers, um, caregivers or foster parents. Um, so we definitely have a lot of community partners that are out there looking out for these young people. Um, as far as success stories uh, of individual young people, you know, I, I just have to give a shout out to our young people who are, who've been involved in our High Hopes Youth Boards for over 10 years. These are young people who've had, oh my goodness, just overcome tremendous odds and struggles and decided even when they were going through their, those um, challenges that they wanted to give back. They wanted to be leaders. They wanted to reform legislation. So they've helped influence um, passing laws, three major laws in the last several years that improves the lives of foster youth, like giving them rights or making sure they have the right to do things like play sports and um, extending uh, voluntary care to 21 so they don't have to just age out at 18 and not know where they're going, but to get additional support. So I think the success stories are really in our young people whose voices are powerful, they have that lived experience, but they also receive the support and training they need to know how to be a leader in their own lives. And, and, and they basically changed the lives of hundreds and thousands of young people who will follow after them because they cared. I mean, I've had young people who've served on our boards through the years who've been homeless while they're serving the board. And they come from, they've just slept in the car with their kids and then they come to a board meeting, you know, or they've suffered domestic violence and yet they show up the next day for a presentation to a bunch of social workers to talk about how they can better serve the young people in care. So um, I've, I'm always inspired, honored to work with these young people. I find their stories and their experiences are sacred to me and to all of us who work mm -hmm. with them. Um, and um, they're just an example in how Nothing is impossible when you have a love and a passion. And they always feel that deep sense of kuleana, that deep, deep sense of kuleana to make things better for those who come after them. So if I were to point to any successes, I would point to them and their advocacy. And of course, it's not possible without the community partners stepping up and saying, we will make sure your voices are heard and that change occurs. So I think I hope that answers your question okay. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I hope we can get some of those victors like yes. on Native Stories because we'd love to hear some Definitely. of their work. Um, yeah, they're the, they're the real, real stars. <laughs> can you share with us, like, I love that you bring up, um, yeah, about advocating and legislative work and being political. Mm -hmm. um, can you share with us, like, kind of what they have to go through in order to be those advocates and pa like help pass certain bills, uh, like those three bills that you kind of mentioned? Sure. Of course. I mean, I guess first and foremost, it starts with the young people. So in this case, and, you know, because we're youth, our approach is youth adult partnership, right? It's not just adult led, it's not youth led, it's youth adult partnership with the youth voice taking precedent, I mean, being at the forefront, right? The young people and their voices and their experience experiences are always at the forefront and that's who we take our lead from for sure but we know that it's a cockle thing it takes all of us to make it happen um, but it's first and foremost the young people people identifying a particular issue that is particularly meaningful to them and and so um, for example 
the first bill that passed in 2013 was to extend voluntary care to age 21. So young people could continue to get financial support, case management support. They didn't have to stay in their foster home. They could live in a dorm or on their own, but they would get extra support to make sure that they have that that additional time to grow into young adulthood, right? Um, and they started by saying, hey, you know what it's like for what it was like for us when we turned 18? We didn't know where we were going to live. So it's them identifying mm-hmm what they felt was important, then talking, then us as Epic, you know, at at Epic and with our partners, bringing the department and others together to hear those stories. And then from there, figure out, well, what can happen? What can we do next then? And at that time, there was actually other states doing extended foster care. And so they were, it's important to look at the political or the, like the, the policy climate out there. So the fact that there was already some energy around extended foster care and some monies and federal funding around it. Um, and we had national partners like the Annie E. Casey Foundation and the Jim Casey Initiative, uh, which we are a site, a partner site for them here in Hawaii. But they they provided us tools and also like uh, monies to bring in national consultants to help um, our Department of Human Services actually look at what that would look like, what the budget would look like, what the feasibility of it was look like. Look like so, you know, it it, it was definitely a cockle effort. We had to draw upon our national uh, partnerships, our local partnerships, but always with the young people and their voice at the forefront. Um, they were at every legislative. So when that bill was crafted, um, it was part of the governor's package because of the communication that we've had. So we worked over almost two years on it with community partners to be part of the governor's package. And the, the director of human services agreed to put it in the biennium budget already ahead of time. So there, you know, you don't have to just wait for the ledge to make things happen. You know, you can partner and you can advocate. And so that's what what happened. And at every single legislative hearing, once the bill was written and submitted and went during the ledge, there were young people that testified at every single hearing. And so that took a whole... you know, a whole machine of kind of us keeping track of the bills and, and letting people know when to submit. And they submitted testimony from all islands. So every single, and you only mm-hmm. get like 48 hour notice usually <laughs> before a hearing is scheduled. So we have to train our young people on what legislative, uh, we gave them legislative training, what that looked like, how to write a testimony, how to, how to um, present testimony. And I was there with them at all of those um hearings to how to meet privately with legislators, right? So they're kind of, they're lobbying, but they're on their own doing it, but getting that support. So, um, and then it was signed into law and and it took a tremendous amount of effort and data uh, and support and media being on the news, getting in the newspaper um, and the communication efforts. So that's just some of the work that had to be done. And then afterwards, I often say sometimes it's easier to pass a bill than it is to implement it. The implementation mm. took at least a year to actually start in Hawaii. And then beyond that, just, you know, a couple more years of presentations and what is this? And now the program is called Emo educating, Kako. educating, making sure it's actually implemented, that it's working for young people. And, and then anyway, so that's that's just one example. Um, but it takes tremendous effort and work. But it all started with the young people saying, hey, this is what we need. This is what other young people need. What? Where do we go from here? So, thank thank you for sharing that. And that's huge. Like passing bills, it takes because I've been there and trying to advocate for different things. And yeah, like there's passing a bill is huge. Like there's so many bills that gets 
you know, propose and a lot of them just get shot down. Yeah. So a lot of them die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they say something like only 10% of like the thousands of bills that um, start out every year at the ledge, um, only about 10 or so percent get signed into law. I don't know how accurate that is, but that's the number I've been given over the years. But it is very stressful. It's a lot of work. Um, and it takes a lot out of you for sure. But I do want to say one quick thing about the political nature of why it's important for, you know, Native Hawaiians in general to be political. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I don't know how many meetings and trainings and presentations and, and conversations I've been involved in over the years in a, var- a variety of settings where, you know, we talk about empowering Native Hawaiians, right? And everything from cultural renaissance to um, you know, working within systems to address disproportionality and having Native Hawaiians at the forefront. Um, those are all very important things, making sure our keiki are being raised with that mindset, right, to be aware um, of their Hawaiian civic duties and and, and that kuleana that they hold. Um, but, you know, I, I haven't heard in, in the system reform er- arena, not so much, of course, at the, uh, in the, in other arenas, politics is talked about greatly but in the systems reform arena that's often shied away from like and my 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 belief has always been okay if you want to reform a system actually it's better to dismantle systems but the systems that we have are created not by our people and they and and usually our native and indigenous people are the ones that suffer the the worst in systems that of course were created um with the colonial by the colonists right um Mm -hmm. and so if you want to reform a system, you can't just go about it through social services. You have to be political. Mm-hmm. Like you have, yes. you have to be informed and you have to be political and it has to be, you know, a, a dealing with historical drama has to be more than just a, great programs, which are critical. The, the community programs, the grassroots work is critical, but there has to be a, a, le- a legislative, a political component about it. Um, if you really want to be serious about reform and about the overall well-being of a, of our Lahui. So that's just my, <laughs> you yeah, know, my no. mana- oh, about that. I mean, I'm happy that you bring that up because it is a very important part. And especially during this COVID pandemic, I feel that more people are realizing that, hey, it's a political system out here and, you know, the disproportionate people are getting affected the most. And so we need to voice our concerns. We need to advocate. We need to know what is our rights. How do we, who do we write to? What are our resources? How can we band together to get more things done? And um, I mean, even though it's been terrible, I I've seen from afar from Texas, like so many community partnerships to feed our, our, you know, Everyone, sure. kupuna, keiki, mm-hmm. and help with needs. Yeah, yeah, like getting people just basic necessities. So yes, no, I feel yeah. very heartened by the outpouring of support and 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 the innovation and the um, the desire to be nimble during these times. Um, but yes, you're right. You know, our indigenous, our native, um, our people of color, the populations have been disproportionately uh, and despair you know impacted the disparity is so great it, as you know as far as being impacted by this pandemic which is just an example again of the overall disparities that occur within our, our communities our indigenous communities and communities of color um, 
And so we've seen an increase in concerns and needs. So not only have we seen cons- like homes, a lot, you know, like a, more homes saying they're cons- not wanting to take foster kids in because they're worried, you know, about mm-hmm. the health implications. But we've also seen a rise in, of course, there's domestic violence and other issues, but a rise in, you know, and parents who saying, I don't know if I can hang on. So parents who are trying to keep their kids, their home safe and to keep their kids with them or, or their kid get, just got their kids back from foster care saying, I don't know if I can do it. You know, like to some of them even saying they want to put their kids in care because it might be safer, you know, for them during this pandemic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when that, that happens, you really have to look at what is going on, not just during the times of pandemic, but every day, what is going on that you know, families are desperate and wanting to put their kids in foster care during the pandemic. Certainly that's not across the board, but it's, it, it has highlighted the great disparities that exist on a day-to-day basis in our communities. I know, like, so speaking about that, so what, like, how has it transitioned for Keiki that are currently in foster care too, like what are, has, what issues or yeah, barriers have come up even more so now since the COVID hit? Well, some barriers, um, obviously, I mean, the, the biggest one is the in-person contact. So there's supposed to be weekly contact between uh, birth parents and their children in care. And that has been affected. So there, you know, it went from in-person to virtual, right? To maybe a FaceTime or, or something, you know, just a text or a phone call. And that deeply can impact the, the health and mental and physical well-being of children and also their families. Um, so that's one thing. Our siblings who have been separated, not being able to see each other in person. Courts were closed um, for a while, and they say closed, closed to a number of cases, except the most, um, you know, like they had just the highest tier of cases, like kids coming in, and they needed to have a case open because of harm. So other things like adoptions and, and really positive things that were going on are, you know, they had to be put on the back burner for, you know, and so um, access to courts have been an issue, Pers- in-person visitation has been an issue, um, some foster homes not wanting to take new foster kids or maybe saying that, you know, they're not comfortable with. So so there's definitely placement and the um, just the well-being of young people who are stuck in a home. Maybe if they're it's not the best home for them. And that certainly has impacted them. Um, so that's some of the barriers. But there's also, again, a lot of people stepping up to make you know, do the very best they can to support children and youth and young adults um, during this time. And that has been really hopeful and heartening to see, including our young people, our young people stepping up and saying, what can we do for our brothers and sisters in care? So there's hope. You just got to power through sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like there's, I know the courts, it seemed like we're down for so long. Yeah. Yeah. And that's critical. Um. I'm still I'm still interested here in Texas. Um, they just started opening up. I think we're like on phase two of opening up the state, and so more people can you can eat inside of an establishment. And That's some right. pe- people are crazy here; they don't even walk around with masks. But yeah, yeah, I'm like interested kind of- to see how how Hawaii is going to open up. I mean, because it makes more sense, like 
here because there's more hospitals and resources. But sure. on Hawaii, like, you know, our islands are small. Healthcare is definitely yeah. a very dire issue where there's no Title 10. So, you know, affordable and accessible healthcare isn't really a thing anymore right now. Yeah. So it's like scary. No, it is. And I, 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 I'm very grateful. Um, there's so many reasons why I'm grateful to live in Hawaii. Um, but, you know, I, I have these f- philosophical discussions about the whole face mask thing. And um, I have, of course, mm-hmm. family members that live across the continent or Turtle Island and different states and where they're like, nobody wears a mask here. And and here, I know we definitely have our contingency of people in Hawaii that don't. But for the most part, when when I do go out and about, you know, people, I do see the majority of people trying to be respectful and wear a face mask. And, and I, I, in my own mind, I mark it up to just the how we do things in Hawaii. Um, I just think that we, when you wear a face mask, even if you don't believe, you know, you can have your issues about the government and civil liberties and, you know, the deep state or whatever conspiracies people, you know, hold to, that's fine, whatever, you know, that's good. But, you know, like, it's all, it's, to me, when I wear my mask, it's a sign of respect for other people. Like I care because mm-hmm. it's a kako thing. I care about my the kupuna that I'm standing next to in a in the in the in the supermarket. I care about someone who has a baby, which I don't take my baby anywhere. By the way, my four year old, I don't take him anywhere. He does. He has not gone anywhere except in the car in a car seat for two months. But that's just me, right? But I care, and so I think in because we're more of a like a community that, you know, like our, our value system here, the way we do things in Hawaii is very much about the kako thing um, over the individualistic needs. Um, I think that's my personal theory on why <laughs> things are a little different. And it's just a comment my sister-in-law made from Utah. She's like, you're lucky you guys live there because she goes, nobody's wearing masks over here and over there. Like she, she sees it as the sign of respect that people wear it here because of respect for other people. And I feel that way too, I, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah, I think I think so too because, like, you know, I see community members making masks for everybody, and and I know that there's people like I personally know people who don't believe in wearing the mask because they don't feel that it protects the immune system and all that kind of stuff, but they still wear it in Hawaii, yeah. and that's like, yeah. I mean, that's telling of exactly like the respect level that's there. Yeah, and for other people who believe in it, you know what I mean? Yes, yes. And it's certainly not to downplay the millions of people across the world who have who are on the front line. My sister-in-law who lives here with us is an ER nurse. My brother-in-law, who's her her husband, who lives with us, of course, works for child welfare and they have to go out. So across the continent and the world, people are they're caring, they're 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 working at the front lines. They're they're sewing masks and, and donating them. So there's a lot of good stuff going on. So, <sighs> yes. So we here at Navy Stories, we always like to um, do a call to action for our listeners and people who support us. Um, so, do you have a call to action that you would like to throw out there to the community and supporters? Yes, thank you so much for that opportunity to shout out or send out a call to action. I think um, if you're in Hawaii and you'd like to kukua um, our children in care, you can find out about becoming a foster parent or a resource caregiver 
Um, you can check out uh, PIDF, which is Partners in Development Foundation, or reach out to Catholic Charities. Um, these are the institutions that have contracts to license uh, caregivers or foster parents. If you feel like you can't foster full time, you can become a respite foster uh, uh, caregiver or someone that just takes uh, the keiki on a weekend. Or maybe you, if the family has to, has to travel off island, you can do it for a limited amount of time. You can also reach out to Family Programs Hawaii that runs something called Project Visitation, which its sole purpose is to bring siblings that are separated together at least once a month for a fun activity so they can see their brothers and sisters who are living in a separate foster home. Um, certainly Epic Ohana, epicohana.org. We have lots of great programs. We have a donate button. Um, you can donate to our work with our High Hopes boards who are our current and former foster youth who are advocating at the front line for um, legislative change and changes in the system. Um, so there's there's a lot of great work. But if you wherever you are, in your communities, you can support foster youth uh, on each island in Hawaii and across the continent. Um, you can give, you can give of your time, you can mentor, you can give money. Um, it doesn't take much. And you can just learn, learn about the the organizations and learn more about foster care. And it, it really is a community and a kako thing. It's all of us. It's not just them. It's all of us. So those are just a few things. Those are some awesome resources that I'm definitely going to hit up as well after this. Um, so what are some next goals moving forward for Epic and for yourself? Well, you know, it's really about, first and foremost, continuing the work of youth advocacy and youth voice to make things better in the foster care system for other young people in care and who've exited care. It's also about some really cool next steps is our Nakama Ahaloa right initiative, which is working on making sure all young people, Native Hawaiian and other youth in care, have that permanent relationship in care and when they exit care so they can have lifelong connections and support. And also to bring down the numbers of Native Hawaiians involved in the foster care system. Um, those are just a few things I'm looking forward to that, that continued efforts. Um, we have a, the Pono process, which is something to make sure that young people who feel their rights aren't being honored in care have a voice. They can reach out to us and they can tell us what's going on. We can help them. So it's all about youth engagement, youth empowerment, community collaboration, um, and, and definitely working on improving the lives of all young people and families involved in foster care, but particularly for our Native Hawaiians that have been disproportionately impacted over the years. And I personally always like to ask this question um, to the people that I have on Native Stories. Um, what do you see the future looking like for Native and Indigenous people? Or like, what is your dream of it looking like? I mean, I'm sure it's some of what you just said, but I just ask again. Oh, sure. I mean, the five-year vision we talk about, or the 10-year vision. Um, my vision is that every young person... Uh, first, the fam our families in the community receive the supports and resources they need to safely and appropriately rear and raise and malama their keiki. And if for some reason they need help and their keiki needs to be involved in something like the foster care system, that there are policies and practices and people in place to make sure that they're safe and they're loved and that they're with family until they can return to their parents, if that's appropriate, that each young person in care has a voice, that they're heard, that they have the resources to have as quote unquote normal a possible life, um, you know, 
that they can play sports and they can they can they can dream big and go to college and and break some of those statistics and and stereotypes about young people who've been involved in foster care. Um, but it didn't. Yeah, I just have this hope and vision that um, all of our young people are empowered and loved and stay safe and have family and other connections to just thrive. Awesome. Okay, so last thing, do you have any last thoughts um, or messages that you want to share? I, you know, I just want to say mahalo. Mahalo nui for in this wonderful platform that we have to talk about those things that are important to Native or Indigenous peoples to raise up um, and, and lift up our stories to empower us. Um, it's when we speak our stories and tell our truths that we are empowered and that we carry on that um, you know, legacy in Kuleana that our, our ancestors passed on to us. And it's a privilege and an honor to be, to be their descendant and to be a part of this work. So thank you and, and all of your, um, your Native Stories Ohana for the good work that you do. That's just what I want to say. Yeah. Uh, mahalo for joining us. Um, it was definitely enlightening for me. And I, I hope that it was enlightening for everybody else listening and tuning in. Um, yeah, mahalo for sharing your story with us. Um, so wrapping up, um, if all of you want to further connect with us, Please do. You can follow us on Facebook. You can search Native Stories for daily updates on Indigenous and Native Kaimea or things. Um, you can download our mobile app and listen to us on all streaming podcast outlets. Just search Native Stories. Make sure you share with us um, and your loved ones, your coworkers, your friends, whoever you'd like to do so. And Native Stories, we pride ourselves in being your resource. And the more you share, the more of our Indigenous perspectives, truths, and knowledge is known. Um, sending plenty of aloha to all of you out there. And mahalo for tuning in.